Hello and welcome to The Cost of Health, brought to you by the North Carolina Coalition for Fiscal Health. I'm your host and executive director of the coalition, Michael Kraskin. This week, you will hear part one of a two-part series in which I will be speaking with some of the leadership of Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina about what the state's largest insurer is doing to curb rising health care costs. This week, I chat with Dr. Rahul Rajkumar, chief medical officer of the company, and next week with Dr. Patrick Conway, its CEO and president. Both doctors have extensive experience developing and deploying payment models aimed at reducing costs. They work together in leadership roles at the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation. Today, you'll hear Dr. Rajkumar as he shares his concerns about our current fee-for-service model of payment, which he says is contributing to driving up healthcare costs, and his vision for a North Carolina in which everyone can afford quality healthcare. So I'm Rahul Rajkumar. I'm the Chief Medical Officer at Blue Cross Blue Shield, North Carolina. Prior to this, I worked with our CEO, Patrick Conway, in the government. I had a stint at Care First as their Chief Medical Officer. But by training, I'm a physician, and I'm really a physician at heart. So I trained in internal medicine at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. What's been the best, best thing you've learned about North Carolina since you've been down here? People here put bacon on everything. <laughs> we sure do. You open up a sandwich and there's bacon on it. Even a vegetarian sandwich yeah. will have bacon on it. <laughs> well, really, I've just been so moved by the kindness of the people that I meet here. I'm a native New Yorker. I joke about this a lot with people, but I, I feel that North Carolinians are uncomfortably nice for a New Yorker. Mm-hmm. You know, they smile at you in the grocery store, and uh, people have been just immensely welcoming and kind and, and open. I've uh, asked for some of your time today to talk about healthcare prices in North Carolina. As you know, healthcare costs have been rising. From where you sit, what are the primary drivers of rising healthcare costs here in North Carolina? Well, in pure economic terms, the cost of healthcare is the product of two things. It's price times utilization. So it's what's the price of every thing in healthcare that we use, and then how much of it do we use? And there's been a lot of study of both of these things over the last 20 years in the United States. And the truth is that both of these things are increasing. So both the, the prices that we pay for healthcare services are higher in the United States than they are in competitor industrialized countries. And depending on what country you're comparing us to, we seem to use more of it. It depends on the type of service, and it also depends on the part of the country you're in, but I think it's a safe statement that both price and utilization is higher in the U.S., and both have been growing at an unsustainable rate. We spend just about 18% of our GDP on healthcare. That is double the average of other industrialized countries, and it is something that should keep all of us awake at night. It means that If we were to continue to grow, there are some projections that show us reaching 40% or higher of GDP by the year 2050. It means that there's not going to be enough money to pay for things that are dearly important to us, like paving our roads, like defending our country. At every level, whether you're looking at national finances or families in North Carolina or anywhere in the U.S. sitting around a kitchen table, 
This is a crisis. It is one that has evolved over many, many years, but it is a crisis. What do you see as some of the opportunities to slow down that growth of healthcare costs or hopefully even reverse it? So one approach that has been tried over the last 20 years, including here, is to shift more risk to patients, or we call them members here because we're an insurance company, but it's really patients. And over time... And by risk, sorry, you mean financial. Yes. Not, so not to, risk to their health. We don't want to... It, it's to raise the, the cost sharing that patients face. Yeah. So to, to raise the deductible or increase the amount of cost sharing that patients face. And we're not unique in this. Uh, every payer in the country has attempted this. If you just look at the growth, take employer-sponsored health insurance over the last 15 years, it has grown substantially over a 15-year period. So the average annual cost uh, is, I think, around $20,000. That is, I think, two to three times what it was 15 years ago. But the other interesting thing is that the portion of that that's borne by the employee has grown even more rapidly. What this means is that for many primary care services and preventative care services, people will be less likely to seek them out. So this is just an economic reality. As you have more skin in the game, you are less likely to use healthcare services. So that's one strategy. Right. Another one that I think is more promising is to share in more risk with providers. So if you think about in our healthcare system, who is the person that can make a difference? Who is the actor that given the right tools, uh, the right data, and the right incentives can do something about this. It's really the well-armed primary care physician. The primary care physician, think of them in this future that we're trying to build as the quarterback of a patient's care. And if they have the right incentives to refer patients to specialists judiciously, to choose the right medications, to be more cost-conscious, to intercept patients before they reach an emergency room, to broaden the scope of their practice and the scope of their responsibility, uh, to envelop patients in a deeper care relationship. That appears to be the most promising strategy. And the beauty of it is that I believe that there is a path to produce truly better health care, so a better experience for the patients, to raise the quality of care, but also reduce its cost at the same time. And this is an approach that I've heard referred to as value-based reimbursement. Yeah, so you'll hear many, many different names for this, but this is the concept of accountable care organizations, bundled payments, or patient-centered medical homes. The umbrella term for these are alternative payment models or ways of paying for health care that move us away from fee-for-service. If you think about, uh, let me un just unpack that term. Sure. So fee-for-service is just the idea of paying for health care by the yard. We pay an amount for every unit of health care. If you remember nothing else of what I say today, it, this is the thesis, that the way that we pay for health care matters because it signals what we value to the market and to providers. And in fee-for-service, we're signaling that the more you do, the more we'll pay you. And the goal of alternative payment models, so constructs like accountable care organizations, bundled payments, or patient-centered medical homes, is to change the signal and say that we will reward you 
for providing care efficiently, for managing total cost of care, and for improving quality of care. You mentioned a couple different flavors, bundled payments, ACOs. Which of those do you see as the most promising version of value-based reimbursement and, and why? I think that at this point in time, we have the best evidence for accountable care organizations. Mm-hmm. We have some evidence to support payment bundling, particularly around acute care hospitalizations. And I would say that the evidence to support patient-centered medical homes is more mixed and has been a little bit more disappointing. But for ACOs, I think extremely promising results. Maybe I can just give you a 30-second snapshot of what an ACO is. An ACO is a contract between a group of providers and a payer. So say I'm Blue Cross and you, Michael, are a group of providers. So the contract is you providers are going to take accountability for a group of patients, hence the name. And we use an algorithm called attribution to assign patients to you. And we do that based on where patients have historically gone. So we look at your past, we look at your claims history, and we look at where where your foot traffic has gone. And you get a list of patients. And these are the patients that you're accountable for. And then we take that list, we look back in time, and we look at what do we think these patients cost in the past? What was the total cost of their care? And then we use, say, a mathematical formula to predict their future expenses. We project their expenses out into the future. That's the benchmark. And the deal is, if you can beat that benchmark, we'll share in the savings. And if you exceed that benchmark, and you're in what's called a two-sided risk model with us, Mm -hmm. you share in the losses with us. We don't want to put you at severe risk. We want you to have some skin in the game, but we put some corridors around that risk. So it's enough risk to motivate you and to give you and your providers the right incentives, but you're also rewarded for taking that risk. And then we adjust those payments based on your quality of care. We adjust them upwards or downwards, depending on your your aggregate quality score. And so we're measuring quality and cost at the same time. Uh, In the Medicare world, the the first Medicare ACO program was something called the Pioneer ACO program. This program saved $385 million over two years. It it was actually certified by the CMS actuary. It's pretty hard to get the CMS actuary to certify anything as cost savings. They're very, very conservative and uh, certified this as as cost saving. In the commercial world, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts in 2009 rolled out something called the Alternative Quality Contract, which was the first commercial ACO contract. Saved about 5 to 10% over a uh, four-year period. These are substantial savings. A, a, yeah. yeah, Five to 10 is a massive amount of money given the numbers that we talk about in the healthcare world. And if I remember correctly, the the first study you were talking about, that was for a population of about one and a half million About people? half that, it was about- About half that, sorry. About 700,000. 700,000, and, and there was almost 400 million in savings just for a population of 700,000. We have about nine million insured in North Carolina, so there's quite a bit of potential savings to be to be found there yeah. for sure but what i would ask is here in north carolina what's what's keeping us from doing that or are, are are you going to make it happen now that you're at blue cross we here at blue cross are trying to engineer the most rapid move to value of any commercial payer in the country so 
again, when we were at CMS, we had set a goal of moving 30% of CMS payments, Medicare payments, into alternative payment models by the end of the year 2016. We met that goal. Wow. We are trying to move 50% of our payments here at Blue Cross North Carolina into alternative payment models within two years. This is a faster pivot, I believe, than any commercial payer has attempted in the U.S. In order to do this, uh, there are a couple of things. We need to prove that we can be good partners to providers. So if you look around our state, look at the major health systems, we are talking to all of them right now. But the first step is on us. We need to demonstrate that we can be good partners to these providers. Sure. That manifests itself in being transparent about our methods, about developing the model together well to enable their success, about giving them data, because you really can't take risk and do this kind of work unless you have data from the payer, and, and also giving them the tools that they need, the clinical tools, to succeed under these constructs. What do providers think about this model? It depends who we're talking to. If you're talking to a clinician, the idea of getting paid more to make healthcare better, to improve its quality, these, these things are consistent with the highest ideals of medicine. This is why sure. most doctors put on their white coats in the first place when they were first-year med students. I see this as, in many ways, restoring medicine to something like the ideals that we all had when we were first-year medical students. But I also think that risk is risk. If you're talking to a CFO or someone in a health system or in a provider organization, they will have many, many questions. And I come back to the first thing I said, which is that we have to demonstrate that we can be good partners. I think that most acknowledge that this is where the industry is going, and this has to happen. Yeah. There, there, is, there is no other path. This is, this is a necessity. Yeah. We've been talking about value-based reimbursement a bit at the coalition, and some difficult questions have come in from our Facebook uh, constituents. So I've gotten some interesting comments. Um, one is that is the concern that if providers stand to keep more money by reining in their spending, mm-hmm. does that give them the incentive to maybe do not do things that they should have done? Skip a blood test, uh, skip a procedure. That's a great question. So we definitely don't want that to happen. Right. Remember, the path here is that we want to save money by improving the quality of care and improving the experience of care, both for providers and for patients. And that's why it's so important that the incentives in the model include a robust measurement of quality. So you're getting paid to improve quality and to reduce cost. That is a threshold issue. In fact, we will not pay out shared savings to providers that don't meet a quality threshold. So that's a critically important question. And that dovetails with one of the other questions that we got on Facebook, which is, how do you measure quality? Cost is very easy to measure, but quality? That, too, is a great question. So we look at quality in different buckets. So we look at inpatient quality, so the quality of care you receive in a hospital. So things like hospital-acquired infections, the hospital's readmission rate, avoidable conditions, so things like line infection, C. diff infection, and then Another bucket is outpatient care. So we use nationally validated 
measures. And the goal is to construct a measure set that's as parsimonious as possible. So we, we don't want to drive the providers crazy. We don't want to give them a hundred different things to measure, but we want to come up with a core measure set that is um, as focused as possible, but is also measuring meaningful quality. This work is incredibly difficult. It's technically complex, but this has to happen. And there is the thing that keeps me up at night is that our, our members or patients, as a physician, I think of them as patients, will not be able to afford our product over time. And if they can't afford our product, it means that they can't afford healthcare. Mm -hmm. So we and the providers are literally in the same boat. We may not always see it that way, but we are in the same boat. And our goal is to be better partners to them and to chart a different course. And of course, from a coalition perspective, we're a coalition of businesses that are finding healthcare costs hitting their bottom lines and preventing them from investing in their businesses. Is there anything that you would ask of the business community in North Carolina? I would ask the business community to help us lead in this work. Yeah. So one of the most important principles is that we need to bring every segment of our business along in value-based contracts. We have individual market members, we have local group, we have major group, we have self-insured employers. We need to bring all of them along. For those employers uh, for whom we're providing administrative services, you know, where they're, they're self-insured, but we're, we're managing the benefit, we need to work with them on this, and we need them to lead with us. Dr. Rajkumar, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, I appreciate it. We'll, we'll catch up again sometime soon. Thank you, Michael. I look right. forward to it. Dr. Rajkumar describes the fee-for-service model that much of our current healthcare system uses as a declaration to the world that what we value is more healthcare, regardless of its efficacy, when what we should be valuing is quality outcomes. He and the leadership of Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina are working to improve our system in a direction that is meant to lower healthcare costs and improve outcomes. Join me next week for part two of our series when I talk to Blue Cross and Blue Shield of North Carolina President and CEO Dr. Patrick Conway about his own experiences with value-based reimbursement and the healthier, less expensive North Carolina he envisions, including a partnership with a company that might be able to effectively cure diabetes, a massive driver of healthcare costs in our state. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell a friend to subscribe to us on iTunes or their favorite podcast app. If you have a story you would like to share or just want to get in touch, please contact me at michael at fiscalhealthnc.com or on Twitter at Michael C.K.